Psalm 27, verse number 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O Lord, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amazing passage of scripture, but our verse we're going to look at this morning is verse number 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I am not a very skilled driver. I am a pretty safe driver, I'm a pretty cautious driver, but I'm not natural at operating vehicles. On top of that, I have a problem with my depth perception, I always have. I have trouble judging speed over distance. And so when I come up to a stop sign, I have difficulty. Your mind's probably calculating the difficulties. I'm sitting at a stop sign, and I am not the greatest of drivers, and I also cannot tell how fast the cars that are coming that I've got to enter traffic, I cannot tell for sure how fast and how far away they are. But being a cautious driver that I am, I refuse to pull out to where someone has to touch their brakes, let alone slam on their brakes. How many have been irritated by somebody who's done that to you? Yes, we all have, yes. I am not going to be that guy. And so, I wait. Now, Carol, who's not here this morning, this is a help, um, and I trust that none of you will snitch on me, but, um, yeah, it's live streamed, yes. Carol actually is. A natural driver. She is a much, she doesn't do much driving, but she is a much better driver naturally than I am. And so I'm sitting at the stop sign, and she doesn't do this much anymore because now she has figured out who I am. 
takes about 30 years of marriage to do that. But anyway, she'll say, you could have gone. You could have beat that car out. What are you waiting for? Now, I know what I'm waiting for because I can't tell how fast that car is coming and I don't know how long before he gets here and I'm not going to pull out in front of him and have him slam on the brakes or hit me in the rear end of the, of the car. And so I wait. I oftentimes wait a lot longer than I should, but I'm, I'm waiting. And she's asking, what are you waiting for? It's a good question that we ask quite a bit. You pull up to McDonald's, you give your order, you go to the window, you pay, you go up to the next window, and you sit. And you sit, and you sit, and then the lady says, why don't you pull over into that parking spot over there? And you pull over there, and you wait, and you wait. And pretty soon you want to go in, you go, on to the, go up to the counter and say, what am I waiting for? Just put everything I've got in a sack, credit my credit card back for whatever I don't have. What am I waiting for? Just let me out the door. What am I waiting for? You're sitting at the doctor's office. The doctor says, I'm going to run some tests. They run the tests on you. The doctor says, we'll wait for the results. I'll be right back. Famous last words. You're sitting in there, and you can hear the doctor down the hall. He's joking with the other doctors and the nurses there, and they're just talking about nothing. And you're in there, in that, and you've been in that room for hours, it seems like, and you, you want to lean your head out and say, what am I waiting for here? Right? It's a good question. What am I waiting for? Patience generally isn't our strong suit. But often, if we knew what we were waiting for, it'd be a lot easier. If Carol says to me, what are you waiting for? And I say, there's a police car and an ambulance coming this way with our lights flashing. Her question is answered, and sitting there is a viable thing. She's not got any problem sitting there. If I walk into McDonald's and say, I say what am I waiting for? And they say, look, we discovered some contamination in one of your, our machines, and so to be on the safe side, we threw away all of that food, and we are cooking you a brand new meal right now. You say, oh, okay, that's probably worth the wait. When you're sitting at the doctor's office, and, you're, and they, the doctor sticks his head in your, in your room and says, you know what? The lab got your results back, and they weren't satisfied, so they wanted to do a little more screening on this, and so they're, they're going to do it to make sure we got this thing right. Then you'll go back to your magazine or your cell phone and wait patiently. What are you waiting for? Now, I know that's not grammatically correct, but it is how we speak, and so that's the title of our message this morning. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning you would give us great wisdom, that you would open our eyes to truth, and may we be enabled to follow your command. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are told in the scriptures dozens of times to wait on the Lord. But why do we have to wait? What are we waiting for? Now, before we try to answer that question, I want to get something very, very clear in our minds that is super important. Have you ever noticed that we often expect from others things we do not expect from ourselves? We expect from others what we do not expect from ourselves. We have a boss at work who demands punctuality, but you notice that 
he's always 15 minutes late back from lunch. Yeah. He demands what he, from others what he doesn't expect from himself. A police car goes by. You're driving down the road, and the police car goes by without the lights on or anything, and he's doing 10 or 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. You think, no, wait a second, what is up with this? You ever notice that government bureaucracy, they have a specific deadline where you have to have your things done. But you notice they never have a deadline on when they've got to get their stuff done. Just whenever it happens to get done is what they ex is fine with them. A parent who says to the child, don't do as I, do as I say, don't do as I do. Well, we think, no, wait a second, how does that actually work? We can easily see the fallacy of expecting more of others than we expect ourselves, even though we're often guilty. But do you realize that God is not that way? We are told very specifically dozens of times to wait on the Lord. But do you know that in the Lord Jesus we find the perfect example of this? This is almost life-changing if you can get your mind to wrap around this. We find in the Lord Jesus the perfect example and the power to wait on the Lord. Walk through me with this if for a minute if you can here. Try to keep your mind, it's a little, little complicated. We are not expected to do anything that the Lord Jesus has not already done. It is in his doing that we find our example and the power to do our, for ourselves what we're commanded. And we don't have time to explore this to its great depths, but we'll get at least the surface here. So consider Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He is the creator of the world. The whole world was created in six days. These are all things we already know. He's God the Son. He's the creator of the world, and the world was created in six days. Now keep those things solidly in your mind as we consider Jesus Christ, if we're going to understand what we need to understand here. I'm going to give you several verses that you already know. Revelation 13, 8 tells us that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. In Galatians 4, 4, we find that Christ came in the fullness of time. In 1 John 4, God, we find that God the Father sent his only begotten son into the world. Okay, now we know those four, three facts. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came in the fullness of time. God the Father sent him. Now, obviously we cannot put ourselves in the realm of God who lives outside of time. Okay, we cannot think in terms outside of time. So we must think in the terms that God has given us, which is in the realm of time. Now put these things, these pieces together. Jesus Christ... God the Son knew he would become man and die for the sins of man at the foundations of the world. He knew he was going to become man and die for the sins of man at the foundation of the world. He knew this. Okay, that's what that tells us. He was slain from the foundation of the world. So he knew this was going to take place. Now, when did he come? Right away? 
He knew from the foundations of the world how many years pass. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years pass. What is he waiting on? It's got to be the right time, the fullness of time. Who's going to send him? The Father. He is waiting on the Father. He is waiting on the Lord, we might say. He is waiting on his Father. He knows, he's God the Son, by the way. He's the creator of the world. He waits for the time when the Father sends him. Okay, now, I know that if we wanted to, we could probably shoot holes in some of that thinking until we put it with the rest that makes it all together. We know about Jesus Christ's life here on the earth. What do we know from the time from zero to 30? What do we know of the time of the Lord Jesus from zero to 30? If we take out the first seven days, which is his birth and, and dedication and all that, the first seven days, what do we know? We basically know one thing. We know very limited things, and we assume some things. We, the only thing we really see from him is when he's at 12 years old, he's doing what? He's in the temple asking questions of the, the scribes and, and, he's, and trying to get some knowledge here. And what does he say when they ask him about it? I've got to be doing, I've got to be about my father's business. So at age 12, he's already waiting on the father, doing his father's business. But what does he do after they say that? He goes home, says, and he has subject unto his parents, meaning he obeyed them. Now, think about from zero or from seven days to 30. Not 30 days, 30 years. Think about how long of a time that is. What is he doing during that time? Well, we have some infer inferences. In fact, they sang about it partly this morning. His father had an occupation as carpenter, and so we can assume in that society the fathers taught the sons, and the sons became the, the, did the job of the father. So we can assume that Jesus Christ was doing carpentry work. We're not exactly sure what type of carpentry, but we'll just pick one. It won't make that much difference. How long would it take you to build a table and chairs with hand tools? How many actually are woodworkers? You have actually have some use of tools in your life. If you're not a woodworker of that side, you probably have no clue. I work with tools and have all of my life, and I would hate to even think about trying that. Can you imagine trying to cut a log lengthwise with a handsaw? And then to have to dry that out, and then, you know, when you get it out, it's not smooth. Then you've got to plane it down or scrape it down to where it's flat and the same thickness as all the other logs. So you've got to put them together and all of your joints have got to be made by hand. You've got to use a chisel to make all of your notches. You have to use a draw knife to make anything round, any dowels or spindles. Any carvings are done with a hammer and a chisel. 
if I were to say, if you could knock out a table like that every week, you would really be something. Do you realize, put the two pieces together, how long did it take Jesus Christ to create the world? Six days. He did the whole world in less time than it took him to build a table here. Can you get your mind to wrap around that? Think about the tediousness of that, of trying to build with your hands. What is he doing? And the answer to that is he's waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for God the Father to tell him what to do. He's doing his father's business at each point, and he's waiting until the fullness of time when he can become, his public ministry can open up. He's growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man during this time, but his public ministry cannot begin until he's 30 years old, so he waits. When he turns 30, what does he do? I'll tell you what he does when he's 30. He waits for the Father. For what? And the answer to that is for everything. Let's take a real quick walk through verses that you've already know. John 7, 8 says, Go ye unto this feast. I go not up yet for unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. What's he waiting on? For permission from the Father. John 12, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of myself, but what my Father which sent me, he gave me the, a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. The Lord Jesus doesn't say, I don't just, he says, I don't just say whatever I want to say. What do you say, Lord Jesus? I wait to hear what my Father says, and that's what I say, and all that I say. He is waiting on the Father for the proper time to do anything, for what to say in whatever he's involved with. Mark 13, 31 and 32. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But if that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. What is he saying? I don't know when all this is going to take place. I am waiting on the Father. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Not my will but thine be done. The Lord Jesus, creator of the world, the God the Son, says, I am not moving out on my own desires, but I'm waiting on my Father to reveal his will to me so that I can do it. Now put this all into perspective here. The eternal God, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator and the sustainer of the world, did not just say whatever he thought. He did not just do whatever he wanted. He didn't just go wherever he thought he should go. And whenever he thought it was right, he waited on the Father. He waited on what to say, on what to do, and on when to do it. 
He waited on the Father. In Christ, we have the perfect example. Now, let's just be realistic here. If God the Son can wait on the Father, what excuse do you have? What excuse do I have for not waiting? When we are commanded to wait on the Lord, what possible excuse could we have for not waiting? If God the Son sets down the example and gives us through him the power to wait on the Lord, what are we doing jumping the gun? What are we doing refusing to wait? We have in Jesus Christ the precedent set. The pattern is there. We wait on the Lord. He's not asking you to do something he has not done himself. The Son has shown us the way. Okay, now that we got that set, we have the perfect pattern in Jesus Christ. Let's see if we can answer our question. What are we waiting for? Wait on the Lord. What are we waiting for? We have a problem. We have this need. We have this situation. Look, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Why do we have to wait? Why doesn't God just take care of it? You understand? Isn't that the question? You see the problem. You see the answer. You see, and God has all of this. What do I have to wait for? Why can't he just take care of it? What, are, what am I waiting for? Three things this morning. What are you waiting for? Number one, you're waiting for the Lord to show you your next step. You are waiting for the Lord to show you your next step. That's what you're waiting for. You know, I found it a very rare thing in life to come up with a situation that doesn't have at least some options for action. Every now and then you come up with against a situation that doesn't, you don't have any clue on what to do. But almost everything you come up with, almost every situation you find you're in, there's at least some options. There's always somebody that you can blame. There's always somebody that you can yell at. Pretty generally, there's some way to get your little hands involved with the situation if you want to. What I have found is these options aren't generally the right options. But they're there nonetheless, and we generally take one of them. And typically, we find that by taking that option, we just made the situation much worse. We should have waited on the Lord. What are we waiting for? For the Lord to show you the next step you're supposed to take. A few years ago, I was dealing with a situation that was both frustrating and irritating. I don't know if you ever deal with these kind of situations. Of course you do. You live here on planet Earth. And so you're, I'm dealing with something that's frustrating and irritating. And I'm sitting in my office and I'm thinking the whole thing through. You know how you do. You pull, run the playback through about 900 times. And, you, and then you start playing it forward. And, okay, this is how I'm going to handle this situation. So you've analyzed all the data. And I'm formulating a plan on how to handle this thing. And I got myself an idea. I know how I'm going to handle this thing. And I was reading that morning in my Bible, in James chapter number 1, and it said, The wrath of man worketh not 
the righteousness of God. Well, there goes my good plan. Because <laughs> I had this baby all laid out. I'm going to set this record straight. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so I had to think, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm not waiting on the Lord here. Maybe I'm kind of running ahead on this thing. And then you find out, wait, if I would wait on the Lord, he gives you the solution to the problem that just really does answer all the situations. You're waiting on the Lord, but what are you waiting for? You're waiting for him to give you the next step that you're supposed to take. Our natural inclination is to take action, to get involved in doing, saying, correcting. But what's really needed is some waiting for the Lord to show you the next step. Now, don't kid yourself here. We often have a time, we often give ourselves the out. Don't kid yourself here. In whatever situation you're facing, the Lord knows the timetable. He knows the urgency. He knows all of the pieces of this. He knows when all this has to take place. He's fully aware of that and is able to show you in the right time what you need to do. You don't have to jump the gun. If you jump the gun and get ahead of the Lord, you have forgotten that he knows everything. He knows your time frame. He knows the situation. And if he's moving at this speed here, you getting in front of him is not going to help that situation. Don't give yourself that out like, oh, but I've got to answer this right now. The Lord knows if you have to answer this right now. But I've got to move on this today. The Lord knows if you need to move on this today. And so when you get ahead of him, you know you're taking this in your own hands. You wait on the Lord. He knows the time frame. He's able to get this information to you in a logical, in a reasonable time frame within when it needs to be done. You wait on the Lord. And what are you waiting for? For him to show you your next step. I use this phrase all the time when I'm praying. It actually comes from this passage of scripture here. Verse number 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. You can wait on the Lord. And what you're waiting for is this plain path, this next step that you are supposed to take. He's going to make it clear to you. He's going to make it plain. You're waiting on him for this step. Now let's take a, a quick aside here, because some will say, look, I have waited, and I have waited, and I have waited, and I have waited on the Lord, and I never did get a plain path. He never did come through for me. Well, there is some truth to that, but let me tell you why that happens. I'll tell you why that happens. It happens because God does not let you pick and choose his instructions. God does not allow you to pick and choose his instructions. Very often, God will speak in your heart and tell you something that you are supposed to do, something that you're supposed to quit doing, something you're supposed to confess, 
something you're supposed to forgive somebody else for doing, something that you need to let go of, something that God wants you to be involved in. I don't know what it is, but God speaks in your heart, and you know it. You know, God, I've found, is not silent. God is not confusing in his directions. So sitting right where you are, you know the next step. And so the Lord brings this to your mind, and you say, I am not willing to take that step. You tell him, no. You know what it is. In fact, right now, it probably just came to your mind. You know what it is. You know what you should have done. You know what you shouldn't have been doing. You know it. And you say to God, no. And then all of a sudden, some problem in life that comes unexpectedly to your life, and now you are confused about some totally different area of your life. And so you go to God and you say, please leave me, help me in this situation. I don't know what to do. Lead me in a plain path. Guess what? Don't expect to hear anything. Why? Because God has already spoken. Why would he give you the next step when you won't take the first one? It is presumption on our part to expect God, well, I'm just going to pick and choose your instructions. I'll obey what I want and disobey what I don't. That's presumption. And if you want to be led in a plain path, then you obey whatever God tells you. And trying to pick and choose, and well, that sounds like that will be a help to me, and I don't think this is a help, isn't going to work. You wait on the Lord. You wait for him to give you that next step, and then you take it, whatever it is. That's what you're waiting for. The first thing you're waiting for when you're waiting on the Lord is for him to give you that next step. Number two thing you're waiting for. You're waiting for, the, for him to show you the next step. Number two, we're waiting for the Lord to make the situation ready. We're waiting for the Lord to make the situation ready. When we think about our problems, we think of them from our own perspective. What I mean by that is we look at it and say, how does this affect me? How am I going to interact with this? What does this mean long term in my life and the people that I love? We look at it from our own perspective. When God looks at a problem, he does not look at it from that perspective. God looks at it from everybody's perspective. The entire perspective. And when he acts, he's acting from that vantage point. So you see the quick solution to your problem, but that's not the solution to everybody's problem. That's not how this works all together. And so God is working on everybody's solution so that it interacts properly with everyone. And sometimes in that process, pieces need to fall into place. The situation needs to be made ready for you to interact with it. And so what are you waiting on? For the situation, God, to work his work to where the situation is ready for you. And you say, but I wanted some immediate action. I wanted some immediate results. And God says, wait a second, this has got to be right. I've got to get this worked around the situation so it's ready for you. I love the book of Esther. I love the story of Esther. And I don't know if, how much of you know of that story, but this, everything we're talking about today actually is illustrated in the book of Esther. But one quick piece of the, the story of Esther. 
Mordecai, it's her uncle, right? My, my brain's not working right now. Her uncle or cousin? Cousin? He's older? I don't know. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. Mordecai. Mordecai saves the life of the king. Now, if you saved the life of the king, what would you expect? They were going to assassinate him, and you saved the life of the king. What would you expect from that? <laughs> a little money, right? A little honor, a little something or other you'd expect from that. You know what Mordecai got from that? Zip, nada, nil, nothing. Now, if you were Mordecai, you'd have said, man, that was a ripoff. Save the life of the king, I don't get anything from it. He could have gotten bitter over that. He could have really done some things in his life because he didn't get what he wanted. Why didn't he get his, result, his reward for that? Mordecai would have been satisfied with a few coins, right? A little bit of gold would have gone a long way in Mordecai's thinking. But in God's thinking, this has a lot more to do with his life than that. So the thing goes totally unnoticed because it's going to play a lot larger part later on. What's, what pieces have to fall into place? Well, you know, Haman's got to rise to power. Haman's got to get his wicked plan in motion. Haman's got to really hate Mordecai. All this is coming. And it's all got to fall into place. And then what has to happen? Well, the king's got to fall asleep and not be able to go to sleep one night. So the king's got to get out and ask for some books. Hey, read me the, the, the recent documents to see what's been going on in the country so I can fall asleep. And he's got to be made aware of, oh, this guy saved your life. And what do we do for this guy? Nothing. And it's got to be done when who's knocking at the door? Haman. And Haman comes in, and he's ready to put Mordecai down, put the nail in Mordecai's coffin, and what does he find himself doing? Running in front of a chariot yelling, this is a really good guy here, with Mordecai riding behind. Can you imagine? I, I read that every time. You just want to die for more. If he wasn't such a rotten guy, you want to die for the guy. Haman being put down. What's going on? God using a situation, and nothing happens with it at the time because it's not ready yet. The situation has to be revolved to where now this is going to be a thing that brings great honor to Mordecai, and not only that, saves his entire nation. Look, the Lord says, wait. And you say, I don't understand. What am I waiting for? You're waiting for God to move the pieces around so that the situation is right to act, so that the proper outcome can happen here. You're waiting on the Lord. You're waiting for him to move things as they should. You're waiting for him to give you the next step, and you're waiting for him to get the situation evolved as it needs to and prepared for you. And number three, what are you waiting for? You know that God could handle your entire life, all of the problems immediately, but you're waiting. So what are you waiting for? You're waiting for God to show you the next step. You're waiting for God to make the situation ready. And three, you're waiting for the time to be perfect. You're waiting for the time 
to be perfect. You know the right thing done at the right time? The right thing done at the wrong time is generally not a help. The right thing done at the wrong time is generally not a help. Very famous story in the Civil War. If you know anything about the American Civil War, Jeb Stewart was a genius as, as the cat he was in charge of the cavalry um, for the, the southern states. The South was whooping the North badly up to the first part of the war. In fact, when they met at a little place that you've heard of, even if you don't know anything about the Civil War, Gettysburg, when they met at Gettysburg, the South, if they would have won that battle, our whole national history would be changed. The, the war would have probably been won by the South if they would have won at Gettysburg. Jeb Stewart was a genius at, at cavalry work. He was in charge of all the cavalry, and he, had, he was the eyes and the ears of the entire army. They relied heavily upon him. He had often done, he'd go riding and be gone for weeks and weeks and weeks, and he would harass the North and then come back. This particular time, just a few days before Gettysburg, he took off and didn't tell any of the other guys where he was going. He took the whole cavalry with him. And they were riding entirely around the whole Union Army, disrupting all of their lines. Meanwhile, a battle that nobody was expecting took place at Gettysburg, and they, the South was fighting blind. They had no idea what was ahead of them. They had no idea because they had no communication from Jeb Stuart and his men. I think it's either the third, I think it's the third day of the battle, second day of the battle. He comes riding in to camp, and he's got wagon train, a whole wagon train full of northern supplies that he has captured and stolen and brought back. And he was thinking that he was going to get a whole lot of praise from Lee. And what he got was a spanking, not literally. Okay. Lee looked at all those wagons and says, those are a hindrance to me now, not a help. I've been blind here and we're losing this thing because when you do it is important. Things have got to be done at the right time. And this was not the time to be doing that. I needed you here doing this. you to wait. Why? Because the timing has got to be right for whatever takes place. If you think of someone that are standing at the, 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 the mound, getting ready, or at the, the plate ready to bat, how perfect does that timing have to be? The difference between a strike and a home run is a split second, is it not? Now, let me ask you, do you think your timing is that good in your life? That you can, oh, this would be the exact moment I need to do this. I'm telling you right now, your timing isn't that good. But I'm telling you right now, God's timing is. And he says, wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. The timing has got to be right. And it is a beautiful thing to see God's work when he does the timing of it. You're waiting on the Lord. But what are you waiting for? He can do anything, whatever. You are waiting for him to give you the next step. You're waiting for him to get the pieces all put into place so this thing can go the way it ought to go. And you are waiting
Lord delegates to say this is when this takes place. Wait on the Lord. You have a perfect example in Jesus Christ. This is how he lived with his father while he's on the earth. He's waiting, he's waiting for everything for the father to do and to tell him what to do so that he can live as he ought to live. You have the perfect example. And the power to do what we're talking about comes from Jesus Christ to do this. But if you want to know why you're waiting, you're waiting so that he can tell you what to do. So listen. You're waiting for God to put the pieces together like they're supposed to be. So wait and let him do it. And you're waiting for the proper time when God says, all right, now it's time that you can do it. Wait on the Lord.